0: Another episode of the Lefty Specialist. Just one Lefty Specialist. James is climbing Mount Everest or something, so he is not here yet again. Uh, but I wanted to do a final podcast episode before the end of the year. I'm going to keep this probably a little short, but I wanted to do something similar to what I did last episode, where I kind of look back at a series of posts on the Substack and, you know, recap them added some new thoughts or analysis and sort of updated them and today I wanted to talk about a guy named Bill Belichick because he very well may be coaching his last games in New England. I'm recording this over the Christmas holiday weekend so it's a few weeks after Tom Curran's report that Robert Kraft uh, has already decided on Bill Belichick's future whatever the hell that means. Seems likely that The team and Bill will part ways at the end of this season, his 24th coaching the New England Patriots. Kind of a sad, ignominious ending for a legendary coach. He will not be ending his career, it seems. It seems like he will likely go somewhere else. There's speculation about him coaching the Chargers, or maybe even the Panthers, or the Washington Commanders. But it's very clear that he wants to break Don Shula's wins record for the most... Wins by head coach. He's right now about 15 behind. Uh, he may or may not have beaten the Broncos this weekend by the time you hear this. Uh, but you know he will get to that record eventually. You know even if he coaches three more seasons and you know wins only five games a season, he'll he'll get there. Um, but it will be kind of a depressing way for a coach to to break that record. But I wanted to talk about it because it's something I've written about now a number of times. So back in January, at the end of last season, I wrote a piece saying, is Bill Belichick even any good? And it was sort of a tongue-in-cheek piece. You know, this is something I've been on since Tom Brady won the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. You know, there's sort of this... Rivalry between the two of them this sort of ancient question of who's more responsible for the Patriots success Tom Brady or Bill Belichick. Tom Brady is the player. He's the worker. So obviously my allegiances are to him. Bill Belichick is the coach. He's the middle manager. He's the representative of ownership So my allegiances are against him and you know, I've been sort of writing about this for a couple um Years now, always understanding that it's you know, obviously both of them are good at what they do and or it's a silly kind of juxtaposition. But I actually do think the question has gotten somewhat interesting this year when the Patriots have gotten really bad, honestly, and it's led to a lot of interesting commentary about what makes Bill Belichick a good coach, or what made him a good coach, or what makes a good coach in general and I think these are interesting questions as they relate to the way people watch sports and think about labor and management and work and and the themes that I try to revisit on this blog so I'm gonna kind of go over that a little bit and first I'm going to start with the sort of case for and against Belichick you know kind of review the data then I want to talk a little bit about why people are so committed to the idea of Belichick being a good coach and being a genius. And then I want to kind of talk about more broadly about what that means about people's ideas about coaching and leadership in general. So let's start, first of all, with the case for Bill Belichick, which should be the easiest thing in the world. You can kind of just point to the numbers. He's got 331 wins, most of any coach besides Don Shula, and he will eventually pass Shula. He's got. He's coached teams to nine Super Bowl appearances as a head coach, including six Super Bowl wins. No other head coach has more than four. His teams have won 17 division titles. They've made the playoffs 19 times. He's got 44 playoff games that he's coached, including 31 wins. He's got records in basically every conceivable coaching category. But even if we go beyond the the numbers... You know, we can talk about his actual career. You know, he first gained prominence as a defensive coordinator for Bill Parcells when Parcells coached the Giants in the 80s. And Belichick is credited with coming up with those Lawrence Taylor-led defenses that won the Giants two Super Bowls, including one over the Bills who had this explosive offense that Belichick found a way to silence. And then, of course, you know, he had a time in Cleveland, didn't go that well. Then went back to working for Parcells in New England for a minute, and then New York with the Jets. Then, you know, famously Belichick quits the Jets after one press conference, goes to New England, becomes the head coach there, and coaches that team through a very difficult experience where the starting quarterback, Drew Bledsoe, gets injured, misses most of the season. Tom Brady comes in, and because of both Brady's play and the defense that Belichick helps coach up, the team makes a surprise Super Bowl run, and people forget also the, you know, Drew Bledsoe you know, in the AFC Championship back in 2001. Tom Brady got injured. Drew Bledsoe came in, led a touchdown drive, I believe, through a touchdown pass. And it led to a mini quarterback controversy over who should start the Super Bowl, Tom Brady or Drew Bledsoe. And Belichick, you know, to his credit, just shut that down. And he was like, Tom Brady's our quarterback. You know, this was before Tom Brady was Tom Brady. But Belichick had the good sense to believe in Tom Brady and, and and give him the start and and prevent that from getting out of hand. And of course, you know, that led to the first of six Super Bowl victories that they had together. You know, Belichick also helped coach, you know, the 2017 team that went 16 and 0 in the regular season, just steamrolled through that regular season. They did get upset by the Giants in the Super Bowl, but still one of the more impressive accomplishments ever for a coach, you know, To this day, the Patriots are still the last team to win back-to-back Super Bowls that they did in 2003 and 2004. That was again Belichick. Um, So really, like you know, there's just a lot to credit him for. You know, I'm I'm not trying to knock the guy. You know, give him his due. But the case against Belichick is very simple, as I've been saying on the Substack for quite some time, which is that all of his success literally all of it has come, as a head coach at least, has come with Tom Brady as his starting quarterback. And Tom Brady is almost inarguably the best starting quarterback in the history of football. So, you know, isn't he just riding Brady's coattails? And, you know, when I first started making this argument, it was a little bit tongue in cheek, but the evidence keeps piling up And I've been one of those guys that said that Coach Belichick deserved a lot more of the credit than Tom Brady. But I was foolish in my assessment of this. It's becoming more and more apparent to me that Tom Brady was largely the reason why the Patriots won. Because you see he go to another team and they win. Coach Belichick has struggled to win without Tom Brady. You know, it's really worth looking at the numbers. And when I, you know, I've written this a couple of times now. Belichick has now coached 11 seasons. You know, this one's not yet over, but he's already, you know, the Patriots have been eliminated from the playoffs. And no matter what happens, this is clearly a disappointing year for him. But this will be his 11th season without Tom Brady as his starting quarterback. That, you know, that's, he had five seasons in Cleveland. He had the first season in New England when Drew Bledsoe was still the starter. He had the 2008 season when Brady got hurt in the first game and missed the rest of the year and then he's had the four seasons since uh brady left and went to tampa bay so that's 2020 2021 22 and 23. And as I wrote in the substack er, last month, Belichick's record in those 11 seasons is terrible. He has about a 440 winning percentage. And regardless of the winning percentage, I want to focus on how few coaches get to coach for 11 seasons. This is not a small sample size. I think people have this idea that the non-Brady portion of Belichick's coaching is like a drop in the bucket, but that's not true. 11 seasons, only 60 other coaches in the history of the NFL, going all the way back, pre-Super Bowl era, all the way back to the dawn of the NFL, have coached 11 seasons. So, and if you look at those coaches, the ones, you know, you have to have some success to last 11 years. The only ones, the only coaches who've lasted uh, 11 seasons and had worse winning percentages than Bill Belichick has had in the 11 seasons without Brady are at least guys who coached into the Super Bowl era, right? I'm not counting guys from the 30s here because there really aren't that many of them. But, you know, the only ones you can really talk about are Sam Weish, who, you know, had some weird years with Tampa Bay that brought down his winning percentage and did actually make a Super Bowl in one of those 11 seasons. You know, he took the Bengals to the Super Bowl in 81. And then Norm Van Brocklin, who coached, you know, he was a weird example. If he became a head coach the year after he retired as a player and he coached like the Falcons in their early expansion years and had like a terrible winning percentage, but, you know, not, not somebody I think Bill Belichick would want to be compared to. But yet his numbers as a non, without Brady as his starting quarterback, are terrible. And I think we have to reckon with that and can't just pretend, oh, well, that's just a little thing. Another thing people say about Belichick's non-Brady years is they usually forget about the Cleveland portion of it. You know, they kind of just ignore that, you know, from, so Belichick was the last head coach of the old Cleveland Browns before they moved to Baltimore and then kind of were reborn in Cleveland a couple of years later. And he missed the playoffs four out of those five years. He was also the coach that kind of pushed Bernie Kosar, the like Browns legend out. And he was below five, his team was below 504 of those five years. Not really a good, a good track record. People often again say either that nobody wins in Cleveland or that Belichick wasn't quite like himself yet, that he hadn't like developed into the kind of head coach. You know, there's this narrative we like to tell about coaches where or even players. There's this like early rise, you know, Belichick is seen as a genius when he's the, you know, young hot shot coordinator for Bill Parcells and the Giants. Then this sort of like he gets hired as the head coach and then has this, you know, runs into some problems and kind of comes crashing back down, then takes a a job yet again as an assistant for Barcells, and then emerges as the genius he is today. So Cleveland is either either forgotten about or seen as this bump in the road. And again, often the losses are attributed to the fact that it's the Browns who can win as the Browns head coach. But the answer is actually a lot of people. Uh, Every other coach prior to Belichick in Cleveland had more success than him. The Browns were not the moribund franchise that they have been in this new iteration at the time that belichick took over the team when belichick took over the team in 1991 they were just two years removed from an afc championship appearance under bud carson in 89 one of those games that they lost to the broncos this was the less famous one where nothing especially heartbreaking happened um but they, you know, they'd had that run in the late, in the late '80s. You know, '89, '88, '87, '86, '85. They made the playoffs all those years. They'd only missed once in 1990, the year before Belichick got there. And then, yet, yet Belichick missed the first three seasons: six and ten, seven and nine, and seven and nine. So, you know, the idea that Belichick was, you know, taking it, you know, doing the best that anybody in Cleveland had ever seen, just not true. Marty Schottenheimer had done really good work there. Sam Ruggiero had taken them to the playoffs a couple times in the early '80s. You know, they'd had success before that in the early '70s. Like the idea that nobody could win in Cleveland is, I think, something people in the modern era think about, but was not true before Belichick took that job. And yet, Belichick's mistakes in Cleveland are very similar to the ones you know, you know that have borne out late in recent years, right? He. Didn't know how to coach offense he didn't you know he pushed out an aging quarterback before he probably should have he you know he didn't know how to delegate to certain coordinators so there's just this idea that i think a lot of the mistakes in belichick never really got fixed they were sort of masked by brady and what he was able to do the other thing that boosts belichick's standing and did for me for a long time honestly were the success that the patriots had with backup quarterbacks when brady was the star Right. So obviously in 2008, they missed the playoffs, but they did go 11 and five with Matt Castle as their quarterback. Castle then went to Kansas City and proceeded to like be very mediocre. And so there was this idea that Belichick could get the most out of any quarterback. Right. When Jimmy Garoppolo started those four games, people thought Garoppolo was like the second coming for a hot second. And now I think we know now he's also pretty mediocre. Uh, So there was the sense that Belichick was getting the best out of his players. And this, I think, leads to another myth about Belichick. And I think this is another excuse people make about him, especially over these last four seasons in New England, which is that Belichick is, you know, held back by the talent that he brings. And so you'll often see because Belichick has or is the de facto GM in addition to being the head coach, you'll often hear people say something like, oh, Belichick the coach is held back by Belichick the GM, or he's a bad general manager, or he needs a good general manager. And there's, so there's this overall discounting of the level of talent on the New England Patriots and on those teams in general that, he, that Belichick has coached. The idea is that whatever team he is coaching, he's getting the maximum out of that team. It's just that the raw materials might be flawed. And he may bear some responsibility for that, but it's always used as like a justification of his coaching. And this has struck me, especially in recent years, as very strange. The most obvious way it's strange is uh regarding Mac Jones because Mac Jones was the quarterback drafted in 2021 he's been their starter the last three years and he's really sort of flamed out I think the team will probably move on from him after this season um and it's seen as a big step down right so there's now this quarterback controversy of New England between Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi and it's you know neither of them are are, are star players and the idea is that Mac Jones is barely better than Bailey Zappi or Malik Cunningham and that Belichick is sort of held back by that but Mac Jones was a quarterback at Alabama he, he won a national championship he made the Pro Bowl as a rookie I know he made it as an alternate because of injuries but not a lot of guys make the Pro Bowl at all as rookies the idea that Mac Jones is some scrub I mean he was a 15th overall pick and that wasn't seen as a huge reach at the time most people had him going in the first round and You know, not every first round quarterback is a star, but the idea that Mac Jones is just some guy he found on the side of the road and is getting the most out of seems crazy to me. And I think you see this a lot as a way of excusing Belichick by denigrating the players he's had. Belichick has actually had a lot of talented players on his roster. It's true that some of them often have, um, you know, issues wherever they've been before. And, you know, Randy Moss being the most obvious example, but... You know Wes Welker, Corey Dillon, like Rob Gronkowski, like even Aaron Hernandez. These are very talented players. These are not guys, you know, that like you need to you need to be, to be a super genius to sort of get the most out of. You know, I'm not saying Belichick doesn't deserve credit for getting them for for coaching them well, but this idea that the Patriots are always this team full of scrubs that Belichick coaches up. Is, I think this strange idea about him and even right now if you look at guys on that team I mean you know obviously it's not the most talented roster in the NFL but you know Juju Smith-Schuster was a contributing receiver on a Super Bowl winning team just a year ago and now people talk about him like he's one of the worst receivers in the league I bet the Chiefs would love to have him back you know like I don't think This idea that he's some terrible player. He's just on a bad team with a bad offensive system. Same thing with Jacoby Myers. Same thing with Ezekiel Elliott, who again, I know he's old. I know he's not what he once was, but he was a star running back in the league for a long time. And he's not just some, you know, fly-by-night guy. I'm sure a good coach could get something out of him. And yet on the Patriots, he is struggling. And then the last piece of this case against Belichick, which I don't even know how much to rate myself, is the Belichick coaching tree. And it's always been sort of strange to make the argument against him about people who have worked for him. But, you know, most legendary coaches in the NFL have a coaching tree. They've most have had a record of developing assistants who then go on to become great coaches, right? Mike Holmgren did, Bill Walsh did, um... Bill Parcells did, Jimmy Johnson did, you know, this is not a, you know, unrealistic demand. It's actually pretty strange that none of Bill Belichick's assistants have ever gone on to have any real success in the NFL, right? In fact, they've mostly flamed out in spectacular fashion. Josh McDaniels, Romeo Cornell, Eric Mangini, Charlie Weiss, That was in college, but still, you know, there's just no Joe Judge, there's just no record of of any of these guys panning out, which suggests that something about Belichick's style, something about Belichick's strategy, something about the way Belichick coaches does not translate outside of New England, and not even just New England, but New England in the specific years that Tom Brady was there. You know, as I would point out, Brady made the Super Bowl the year after he left New England. He went to a team that had not been to the playoffs in like 10 years, and he won the Super Bowl immediately. The team he left has not been back to the playoffs except one game in Buffalo where they got blown out in, bar- in an embarrassing fashion. And this does lead to a question of Belichick's compar- a comparison with Belichick and his peer coaches. You know, guys like Don Shula, Chuck Knoll, Vince Lombardi, Bill Walsh, you know, Mike Holmgren. You know, it's true that most coaches have the most success with their best quarterback, right? It's true of Chuck Noll and Terry Bradshaw. It's true of Don Shula and Dan Marino. It's true of Bill Walsh and Joe Montana. Like, that's a normal thing, and it feels weird to hold it against Belichick. But in almost every other example, there's actually not as stark a contrast, and there's usually some evidence of success with other quarterbacks, right? So Tom Landry, you know, yeah, he had Roger Staubach for... bet for a decade and made those super bowls together but he had deep playoff runs with danny white as his quarterback and coached the cowboys to success in the 80s you know the 49ers famously handled this controversy between joe montana and steve young very well and transition from one to the other seamlessly in a way that obviously the Patriots wish they had so the you know even somebody like Tony Dungy and Peyton Manning Dungy had a whole track record of success in Tampa Bay before he got to Indianapolis so the idea that a coach is doomed to failure without Tom Brady or without their best quarterback is only really true in the Belichick example. That's the stark difference between the Brady years and the non-Brady years is not something you see when you look at other coaches. Alright, so you know, rather than spend the rest of this episode going trying to come up with a verdict on the case for and against Belichick, what I'm really interested in is why people are so reluctant to face these facts about Belichick why people are so desperate to make excuses for him so even now even after four dreadful years in New England even after you know even as he's 71 years old he'll be 72 next season you still have people saying oh it would be great if Belichick would coach my team or Belichick you know Belichick hasn't lost the ability to coach Belichick is still a genius you know like the legacy does not take a hit in 10 years whether bill belichick goes to the AFC title game or not this year next year it's not going we're not going to question who is the greatest coach in the history of the nfl that D-O. is bill belichick why are we still so why are people so reluctant to criticize him at all and i think it goes back to this idea of what we think a coach does and who we think a coach is belichick's personality is very famously very standoffish he's hard to talk to he keeps the press at an arm's length. He's not open with the public. He's very gruff and harsh and um, not a very friendly person. And I think that accords with an idea of who we think the best coach in the world would be, right? It would be somebody who was unemotional, right? So one of the big things Belichick gets credit for is cutting players, right? That's something he's seen as like a brilliant guy because he, the minute a player is no longer going to be a valuable contributor, he will get rid of them. He does not hold on sentimentally or delude himself into thinking that a player is still good past his prime, which is a a flaw a lot of coaches have, right? You know, you find you become attached to a player, you become reluctant to realize that that person is now no longer contributing and no longer the best person for the job, and so that person stays past when they should, and so the team gets worse. Belichick doesn't do that, right? You know, the first example I remember was when he cut Lawyer Malloy the defensive back back in two thousand and three and Malloy had been a huge contributor to that two thousand and one team. He had been a big he had been a Pro Bowl player. And Belichick was right. You know, he played for another eight years or so, but he was never the same player. He never made another Pro Bowl. And the fact that he, you know, was willing to do that was often seen as a testament to Belichick that he's sort of cold and rational and un un, un unemotional we see that ability to not be clouded by emotion as a virtue we want to cultivate in somebody like a coach, right? You hear this in a lot of praise of executives or bosses in general, that they are 100% rational, that they are driven by the bottom line, that they are driven by data and empiric- and, and, and facts and empiricism, and, and, uh, and that should be admired and stressed and so on and so forth. And I think that, you know, Regardless of the overall value of emotions or rationality and the value of, of data-driven strategy, I support that stuff, but I think this valorization of indifference to people's feelings often becomes a way of disguising cruelty in your boss, right? So the fact that a boss you know, is demanding is usually seen as a good thing, but it often is a cover for a boss who might be abusive or too powerful, and I think when you you see the kind of control Belichick has over teams, the fact that he's able to just sort of mercilessly cut veterans the minute they are no longer contributing, while probably good for the team, speaks to the overwhelming power a coach and a coach slash general manager has. And when he's wrong, you know he wasn't wrong. He's you know about Lawyer Malloy, and he's not often wrong. About these cases but when he is wrong when he thinks Mac Jones is worthy of a 15th overall pick and then the team is stuck with him you know that's bad you know that's too much power to be rested in one person right when we see the lack of emotion we think oh well that person's never going to be wrong but as the 11 non-brady years show Belichick is wrong a ton he's wrong maybe just as much as another coach the problem is the, the concentration of power the ability to use that without any check And I think, you know, the fact that he's been right a few times or he's been right more than he's been wrong, maybe he's earned some deference on those questions. But has he earned the kind of absolute power that he should be accorded with now? You know, I think as many people have pointed out, the, the Patriots would be better off if they had somebody around Belichick who could tell him he was wrong more often. The other thing about it is to go back to that excuse Uh, I mentioned earlier about Belichick the GM versus Belichick the coach and I think that's something that reveals a lot about what people want a coach to be right I think there's this importance people place on separating the personnel or the player selection part of Belichick's job with the strategy part of his job and it's tricky because in sports those jobs are two roles right the general manager finds the players and the coach coaches them but the idea that a coach is just somebody is like a strategic genius concerned with mainly x's and o's and strategy and players can be kind of moved around and plugged into those roles like chess pieces on a board i think misunderstands the nature of athletic talent and i think this is a much bigger problem i think it comes up a lot in lots of different issues that people think that talent is something that like exists within people like naturally that it's not something that you know and that it's that a GM can spot it, and that a coach's job is then to sort of move it around or like manipulate it. Whereas I think what's really the case is that part of a coach's job is conforming what he's asking a player to do to the abilities that the player has. Right? That doesn't mean players can't ever improve. In fact, the coach's job is to help players improve. But the idea that this, you can so easily separate or cleave the recognition of a person's ability with the development of that person's ability is, you know, I think speaks to this idea that ability is sort of finite or fixed or not something and that, you know, a coach or a player can get the most out of you. But even that phrase, like the most out of you, as if there's like a specific number, like when you're playing a video game and a player has like an 89 overall rating and you're like, okay, the player is 89 good and that's the most we can get out of him if we use him correctly. But no, I think the fact is like players thrive in different circumstances and in different situations and in different schemes. And I think the the ability of players to thrive under the Patriot system or the Patriot's way was often attributed to Belichick's strategic genius and the fact that he hasn't been able to replicate it without Tom Brady to me suggests that there was something about Brady's ability to get the most out of his teammates and you hear the way you hear this in the way former teammates of Brady talk about him Very revenantly that it's something about playing with him that helps you play better and that's not a strategic thing It's something you know that kind of runs the gamut between player your teammate your coach personnel department, the, athletic, the training department, and all those things, they all kind of come together. And so the idea that the players are all just at the mercy of the coach who, who plugs them into a system successfully or not speaks to this idea of strategic brilliance, which is sort of a myth we're all very invested in. And then the last part of this that I really wanted to get to, which I think comes closest to what I actually believe about this, is this idea that you'll you'll hear some people say something to the effect of, well, it's not like Belichick lost the ability to coach. You know, like that when they defend him, they'll say something like, well, look, he's had some bad seasons, but he's still Bill Belichick. He's still the guy who won six Super Bowls. He didn't lose the ability to coach. And I always sort of question that because Players lose the ability to play all the time, right? If a, if a player is over the... I mean, Tom Brady lost the ability to play. He's retired now. You know, like there's people... That happens to people. And the idea that it can't happen to a coach is sort of strange. Obviously, you know, physical ability of players is so important. And people do decline in their physical abilities and their speed or their strength naturally over time. And we think of coaches as exempt from that. But I think as a socialist, it's important to be really materialistic about where ability comes from again ability is not like a natural resource it's something that's created by the conditions that you live in right so maybe bill belichick was a good coach for a team led by tom brady you know i think the most likely explanation is that belichick and brady were very complementary of each other's strengths and weaknesses and that's why they were able to be so successful for 19 slash 20 years depending on how you count the year he was a backup but you know without the one piece maybe the other piece just fails completely and I think that there's something you know in the evidence of like Belichick's lack of success without Brady that it's not that Belichick has some quote-unquote ability to coach but that Belichick knows how to coach certain types of players and certain types of teams and what do I mean by certain types of players and teams is teams with Tom Brady on it you know like he's able to coach that type of team and I think You know, there's nothing really wrong with that. You know, I think Phil Jackson was very successful in the NBA coaching teams with certain types of superstars on it, right? He coached the Bulls and the Lakers very successfully. But that didn't make him some sort of unique basketball god. When he went to the Knicks, he screwed that up really, real good. Kind of screwed the pooch on that one. But he was, you know, he was good at what he was good at. And I think we have this idea that if somebody is good at a management job that they must be a quote-unquote genius or a brilliant person and that therefore their skills are not materially created They are they reside in the person's brain and are sort of a natural ability that can then be plucked and you see this in you know business world stuff where like people go from you know, executives who are very successful in one job go to another company and are unable to replicate that because their success does not come from like their own genius. It comes from material circumstances around them. And when you change those circumstances, they're not able to replicate that success. It doesn't mean that they're stupid or flawed or something. It just means we have to change the way we think about success at your workplace. And I think what makes sports so interesting is that We are at such high levels that somebody like Tom Brady could go to Tampa Bay. You know, I always think it's funny. Like, why doesn't anyone say Bruce Arians is the best coach ever? You know, like he won a Super Bowl with... In the two years he coached Tom Brady, he won a Super Bowl and made an NFC championship. That's a pretty good track record and compares pretty favorably to Bill Belichick. Well, the answer is like he'd had a long run of being a pretty decent but not especially great coach. And people are just like, well, it's only two years. But it shows that the impact of a great player in sports it is so measurable and so real but still so subject to things like your material conditions right and you know we see that in the careers of lots of great stars where you know they are as good as they are capable of being in various parts or at various different teams but because of who they are playing with i mean i mean look at kevin durant's basketball career look at lebron james even and the 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 consistency with which they themselves are stars, but the erratic nature of the outcomes because of the situations in which they find themselves. And when you take a step back, what you realize is that for both workers at the bottom of the ladder and managers in the middle and executives at the top, the idea that you can kind of isolate your individual contribution Even for somebody like LeBron James or Kevin Durant or Tom Brady, it's almost impossible. So how do you think you can do it for people whose jobs are so much harder to quantify and honestly, so much less difficult and demanding than these star athletes? So the idea that somebody like, you know, I think we are so invested in the idea of Bill Belichick as a great coach because we are so used to the idea that people are individually responsible for their own success or lack thereof at work. And I think Belichick flatters our idea of a genius manager who comes in to save the day. Even though if you had a boss who failed 11 years in a row, you would stop thinking that person was a genius. And I don't say this and I don't keep writing these pieces to denigrate Bill Belichick, who I don't really like, but I I recognize that he is a great coach, but only to say that he should really make us question our ideas of what greatness in coaching and leadership are really about and the fact that he hasn't done that is a little strange to me and i think speaks to the power of certain ideologies we have about the workplace all right i think that pretty much wraps it up uh i think that you know again this was i think a little bit shorter but i should probably keep these episodes shorter i wish everybody a uh, happy and healthy new year uh and from the, from me and james also and the full lefty specialist family so goodbye <laughs>